okay, so I'm just going to let y'all into my world here. Um, I've been solo dadding with a lot of help this weekend. Lee's out of town, and uh, I'm sure that's playing into it. Also, the passage I'm about to preach through is, is playing into it, but I just feel like we're, this is going to be a little different, and I uh, would love y'all's prayers and just to lean in. Um, if you are with us for the first time, Lord help you. Uh, we are going through Revelation, and uh, today we're in chapters 8 and 9. But uh, how many of y'all, I don't know if this was like, if there's an age cutoff for this, like this is still happening. How many of y'all did like spend the night, like sleepover birthday parties for friends? Give me a show of hands. Okay, a lot of people. Um, which kid were you in that thing? Um, Give me a show of hands. Who was scared and either had to go home early or it was always like teetering on the edge? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and who were the kids who uh, kept everybody else awake all night? Yeah. Okay. That was me. Um, and there was one particular birthday party that we, we basically ran it back almost identically for four or five years. This kid had a summer birthday. And um, he had a pool at his house, and so we would always swim and rent a movie and stay up. And uh, we would all start in the bonus room or the playroom, and then what would, what would start to transpire was um, another friend and I would just be keeping everyone awake. And so his mom would come in, and she would say, hey, guys, it's really time to go to bed. And we're like, oh, yeah, yes, ma'am. And then she would leave, and then we would just go back to whatever we were doing before and just making everybody laugh and trying to keep everybody up and playing pranks on the people that were falling asleep. And then um, she would come back in. And so this would happen. I mean, she was very generous. We'll call it, you know, five or six times. She would come in, you know, over the the span of, you know, 30-minute windows. And finally, we would reach the breaking point where she would just look at me and point and Give me the finger, not that finger, the other. <laughs> For all those on podcasts, um, that would be amazing. <laughs> she wanted to do that. She was doing that in her heart. Um, she was giving me the double birds in her heart. But she would say, Matt, come with me. And I would take the, grab my sleeping bag and take the walk of shame. And we would go into an extra room. And she would say, this is now your room. And if you come out again before the morning, then I'm going to drive you to your house and drop you off, and your mom is going to be very upset. So, um, but this actually happened for four years in a row. I mean, this was like <laughs> the, the exact same thing happened, like three or four years. Every, like all the details, same invite list. Me and this other kid would keep everybody awake. He would finally get scared. I would keep going. I would get separated and put in a separate bedroom. And I just thought, okay, if we're looking at this scenario, who is at fault? I mean, seriously, think about it now. Who who is at fault in this scenario? Just yell it out. Yes, me, right? It's not the mom. She is like full of grace toward me. Like, she kept inviting me back every year. She knew what was going to happen. I would look at her with that little look in my eye, like the little Boy Scout look, and be like, hey, Mrs. Markman, good to see you. She's like, yeah, this kid is not going to obey anything that I tell him the whole night. 
And I'm going to be up all night long, and it's going to end somewhere around 3 a.m. with me putting him in a separate room. But she kept inviting me back, and she kept every year giving me, you know, five or six opportunities to cool it, go to bed, stay in the same room with everybody else, not have to be separated. And I continued to just walk all over it. So, like, we hear that story, and we're like, yeah, of course, like, she's going to separate you out. And, like, that doesn't make her evil. That makes her a... a woman who is extending grace beyond the breaking point and wanting you to enjoy the birthday party with her son. So um, that's where we're going today. We're talking about some heavy stuff, uh, but even, even as we talk about this heavy stuff and the judgment of the Lord and the, the coming day of his judgment, we're also inevitably talking about his mercy and his grace because they are intertwined, they are inseparable. And um, if you've been with us, uh, a couple chapters ago, we had this picture. You know, in Revelation, this is, we, we've said this here, this is not a code book to crack, okay? It, like, God tells us what it is. It, it tells us what it is in the very first chapter. It says, this is for encouragement. This is to show my people, to encourage them, to reveal Jesus to them, to reveal the things that are to come to them so that they can be strong, they can take courage, they can stand um, and, and not be surprised by what is coming uh, for, the, for the rest of human history until Jesus returns. And so this is a pastoral letter that reveals the last things that is meant to be a deep encouragement to all of God's people throughout all of the ages. And so as we, as we look at this, um, God is revealing to, to John, who's writing this down, the Apostle John, um, he's pulling back the curtain. That's what that word revelation means, is he's revealing Jesus. He's revealing the things that are coming. And as he's doing this, John is being given visions, and he's being spoken to by Jesus himself and by angels and by God the Father. And he's seeing all of these things. He's seeing all these amazing things that he cannot compute. It's just, it's too much. It's like... Um, so, so as he's writing it down, he's saying, you know, and then the next thing I saw, it was like this, because I don't even have a word for this. Like, I don't even know what this is. I can't really know what it is, but I can tell you the closest thing that I can think of to at least give you a picture of what it was like. And I was talking about this with somebody this weekend. It's like when you have dreams and you wake up and your dreams are so vivid, but then when you try to describe them to somebody else, you realize, oh, I actually had no idea what I was talking about. Like, I knew exactly, it was so detailed, so specific. I knew exactly what was going on. Then it's like, okay, cool, where were you? I don't know, it was like this couch, but there was no walls. And you know, it's like, I have no idea where I was. And like, yeah, who are you having that conversation with that was so specific? Like, I don't know, they kind of had a face that was like faces I've seen before, but I like, can't remember the specific person. It's like, who knows what all is happening as, as John is being given this and he's trying to give it to us the best he can. All that to say is that this is another place, one of the many places in this book where this is not for us to dissect and pick and pull apart. Um, yes, John is using imagery from all of the Old Testament. And today we're gonna hear a, a lot of imagery that is drawn from Ezekiel and from Isaiah and from Exodus and from Joel and from all these different places. But our job is not to find some secret message hidden in all of the different little things that we're seeing happening. It's almost like, kind of like a magic eye. It's, it's almost better to do the opposite and kind of blur it all together and see, get the big picture of what he's talking about. 
So um, today we're reading a longer passage. We're reading Revelation 8 and 9. I'm going to go ahead and have our scripture readers, plural, come on up. um, Because this is too much for one person to read. But what I want us to do... um, as, as they are coming up and, and they're going to read this passage for us, I'm going to ask them if y'all who are reading, if you guys would just read slowly. And I'm going to ask us to do something a little different today. Um, just to invite you to close your eyes and just receive this and hear this and try to just, yeah, hear and see at the same time. Because um, what, what we're hearing and seeing is a cosmic version of uh, me at this birthday party over the years is the God of the universe is calling out for people to repent, to turn away from their sin, to turn back toward him, to find life in him, to say, why, why, do, you, um, why do you refuse to come to me to find life? Why, why are you bent on being destroyed? And um, what you're going to hear is, is you're going to hear about these trumpets. And a couple of passages ago, we were talking about the seals, the seven seals, and it was the, the lamb uh, takes the scroll from the one who is seated on the throne, and this is what's unfolding for the rest of human history. And he begins to break these seals, and we, we heard about all the things that happened as those seals were broken. And uh, this is just a, a different angle on, on that. These are parallel, like parallel symbolism. The seals are kind of directed more toward those who are in Christ, saying like, we are seeking you. We want to know your will. We want to know what is coming and how do we obey you and how do we follow you and what, what should we know? We're close, we're near, we're seeking you. And so it's this revealing, uh, almost in a quiet way, of, of his will. And now we're hearing about these trumpets. And this is primarily for and from the perspective of those who are not in Christ, is that these people are not nearby, they're not seeking, they're far away. And so these trumpet calls are loud and warning calls saying, return, you who are scattered abroad, who are seeking to do life apart from God, return to him and find life in him. And so uh, with that, we'll, we'll read the passage. Revelation 8. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and the seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood, and these were thrown upon the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. 
The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from the heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. Then I looked, and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key, the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened his shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then the smoke came, locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of scorpions when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die but death will flee from them. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces. Their hair was like women's hair, and their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing to battle. They have tails and sting like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon. In the Greek, he is called Apollyon. The first woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still to come. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who have been, been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, the year, were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. And this is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode them. They wore breastplates of color, the color of fire, and of sapphire, and of sulfur. And the heads of the horses were like lions' heads. And fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed. 
by the fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents with heads, and by means of them they wound. The rest of mankind who are not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Father, it is true every week, and I feel it uh, especially deeply this week. I'm aware of it this week, that the things that uh, I am preaching on are beyond me. Um, I am limited. I am weak. We are limited. We are weak. We are frail. Lord, would you give us ears to hear? Would you give us eyes to see? Would you give us hearts that are soft toward you and toward your, your moving and your speaking? Lord, would you come in, in your power and your love to meet every single person in this room the way that you need to meet us and speak to us through your spirit, through your word, through this preaching of your word uh, to tell us exactly what we need to hear? Lord, would you protect us from the enemy who would seek to... Uh, confuse and to take this word away and that it would bear no fruit. Uh, But would you come and and have your way, Lord, and that we would not be unchanged, Lord, that uh, we would love you more deeply for those who do not know you, Lord, that, uh, that they would see you as you are and run to you and not from you. And for those of us who do know you, Lord, would you just make us more aware of your beauty, your your power, your goodness, your love, your mercy, your justice, your wisdom, and would you be so much more desirable to us? Would you be the thing that we would uh, orient our lives around so that we would have more of you? And would you cause all of the other things that we chase to dry up and to lose their luster as we are just enthralled with you? And we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so um, this passage, these, these, the blowing of the seven trumpets, it, it's this rhythm of uh, pauses. And, and we learn by the end of this chapter that these pauses are pauses for repentance. There's a reason that there's not just one trumpet of judgment. There's seven. Because these are opportunities. These are breaks. These are breaks in the action of all the the terrible things that are happening um, as the kingdom of God is breaking in on the kingdom of this world. And there's all this suffering and all these crazy, uh, crazy things are happening throughout these, you know, between Jesus's first and second coming. Um, So what we're going to hear is we're going to hear this rhythm of uh, pausing and opportunities and then judgment. And this rhythm should feel very familiar to you if you're familiar with uh, the book of Exodus. Because the the plagues, the ten plagues of Exodus, uh, really happened in that time, and they were pointing forward to a more ultimate judgment from God. And so if you remember from the ten plagues of Exodus, um, God tells Moses, I've heard the cries of my people, 
which makes us think back to chapter 5 of Revelation where the, the martyrs who had been slain for the word of the Lord were crying out, Lord, how long? How long are you going to allow this to continue to happen? How long are you going to allow wickedness and destruction on the earth? How long are you going to allow man who, uh, who stands against you to work all sorts of suffering and damage and darkness on all of your people and on all of your creation. Lord, how long are you gonna let that happen? And so God's people came up, God's people's cries came up to God in Exodus 3, said, how long are you gonna leave us enslaved in this foreign land? And then God says, I have heard the cries of my people, I have come to avenge them. And so as he does, he sends Moses to Pharaoh and he tells him, he gives him warning, tomorrow the Lord is gonna do this thing in your land if you do not turn from your ways and let God's people go. And Pharaoh refuses, and so then the first plague. And, and then even after the first plague, there's opportunity. Moses comes back to Pharaoh and says, you've seen that God has said what he's done what he said he's gonna do, and now you need to turn and let God's people go. And he says, I will not. And so he hardens himself, and then God brings the second plague. And on and on we go until we get to the 10th plague, the last plague, where there will be the death of the firstborn. And God's angel of destruction is going to move through all of Egypt and destroy the firstborn of every living creature throughout the whole land, including God's people. Because God's, the destruction, the wrath of God is coming on all sin. And even those who belong to God are sinful and deserve God's wrath. But he makes a way for his people to not be destroyed. And he says, take the lamb and, and slay the perfect spotless lamb and put its blood on the doorpost so that when my angel of destruction sees the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, he will pass over your house and you will not be touched by my wrath. And of course, that is pointing forward to Jesus. Jesus is the spotless lamb who was slain for us so that his blood covers us, so that God's wrath does not fall on all of those who trust in Christ, but we are passed over. We get new life. We get new life in Jesus to be um, the sons and daughters of God forever. But here, um, what we're reading here is the ultimate fulfillment is um, that the, the 10 plagues in Exodus were a type of, of God's coming judgment on the world who will not turn. And so um, you see the same rhythm. Uh, first, it's, you know, the first five verses of chapter eight, it's the prayers of the saints that are moving the hand of God in human history. It's all of the prayers of all of God's people throughout all of history being fulfilled in the first and the second comings of Jesus. It's, it's all of the cries throughout all of history of, Lord, will you please cure these injustices? Will you please stop this suffering? Will you please avenge the blood of the innocent? Will you please, please just come and, and as the, the Lord's prayer says, um, would your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? That's essentially what all of these prayers are saying. And the Lord hears the prayers of his people and he answers the prayers of his people. And so first we see in, in Jesus's first coming, um, he is the answer of all these prayers. He is making a way. How can I be both a sinner and how can I be with God forever? It is through Jesus who is the spotless lamb who gives himself so that I can have life. And it's also through Jesus's second coming 
on the, the day of judgment that God talks about throughout Scripture, there is a day coming when all opportunities to repent are over. The, the thousands upon thousands, millions upon millions, the infinite number of opportunities for people to turn back to God and receive him will one day end. Just like in the plagues of Exodus, uh, finally we get to the 10th plague and God says, I am going to destroy people. And Pharaoh says, no, no, I'm still going to do it. I'm still going to do it my way. And God says, okay. And so here we come to this place in Revelation where we're getting a picture of uh, all of all of God's will through human history uh, finding its, its end in this day of judgment where those who are in Christ will receive mercy and those who are not will finally receive the wrath that is due for all of their sin. I told you all this is heavy, heavy stuff. But it is God defending and rescuing and giving justice and saving and avenging and loving. This is God being good. It's good that God cares about wickedness. It's good that God cares about sin. It's good that God cares about death and destruction and suffering and pain. It's, it's good that he is good and just. And so here we have, this begins to unfold. And even here in verse 6, it just made me wonder as I started studying this passage, why is verse 6 even here? Why do we need to hear that these seven angels are preparing to blow these trumpets? And now that I've spent some time in this passage, I believe that, that this is here as just this symbolic pause of, of there is time. The Lord is allowing time and opportunity for people to turn to him. And so why are we even talking about trumpets? Why are, why are trumpets the, the, the thing that John is seeing in this vision? Well, uh, throughout the Old Testament, throughout God's word, we see trumpets being used for several things. The coronation of kings uh, in the celebration of a victorious uh, return from, from battle for a, a kingdom um, to come and, and consecrate yourself and come to a, a worship service or a feast for the Lord. Um, and and it, you can make an argument that, that these trumpets are for all of these things. Um, but the, the main thing that these trumpets uh, symbolize or kind of, kind of what kind of trumpets they are uh, we see from Joel, the, the prophet Joel, chapter 2, and Ezekiel uh, in chapter 33, and it's, these are trumpets of warning. In Joel chapter 2, um, and I would encourage you all to go back and read these passages when you have time to really spend time in them. In Joel chapter 2, uh, God calls out and says, sound an alarm. The day of the Lord is coming. So even then, thousands of years before Jesus' first appearance, God is telling all of human history, all of humanity, that the day of the Lord is coming. This day is coming. Sound the alarm, blow the trumpets. The day of the Lord is coming, and it will be a terrible day. It will be a day of deep destruction. And then even in this message in Joel, then you see this rhythm of, of space for repentance because he says, even then, even now, there's an offer of repentance. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then in Ezekiel 33, we have this vision where God tells Ezekiel, you are a watchman. You are a watchman for Israel. And when I, all of my people are being disobedient, and so I will bring the sword. 
And your job is when you see the sword of my judgment coming, you blow the trumpet to let the people know. This judgment is coming on you because of your sin. It's not coincidence. It is not because of what somebody else did. It is because you and your hearts refuse to obey me. You and your hearts refuse to submit to me. And so this judgment is finally coming upon you. But even as the judgment is coming, Ezekiel is called to blow the trumpet to warn people and say, turn, stop living like this and return to God. And he tells Ezekiel, if these people continue to sin and you blow the trumpet and they continue to sin, then they will die because of their sin and their blood will be on their own heads. But if you see judgment coming and you don't blow the trumpet, then they will still die because of their sin, but I will also require their blood at your hands because you were the one who was supposed to warn them. I've called you to this. And he says in this chapter in Ezekiel 33, 11, you tell them as I live, declares the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But what I want is that the wicked would turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways for why will you die? Why will you choose this? Why will you choose to continue to run away from me, the God who is coming after you in love, the God who you are continuing to spit in my face, who you are continuing to just defy me in every way possible, and yet I'm not smashing you. I'm not destroying you. I'm coming after you in love. And you continue to run away from me, even as I'm offering you love and mercy. And so the, the, the trumpets begin. And in, in chapter 8, 7 through 12, we have the first four trumpets. And as you hear the, the imagery of these trumpets, you get a, a picture of it, it harkens back to the 10 plagues from Exodus 9 and 10. It's a lot of the same kind of things being talked about. And of course, these 10 plagues in Egypt, they were not random. The things that God chose to do to turn the Nile to blood, to darken the sun, to bring the locusts, um, to have frogs everywhere, all, all the things that happened, these are not random things uh, that God thought, yeah, this would be cool to see this. I've never seen this before. Um, <clears throat> every single one of these plagues was a statement against the false gods of Egypt. Okay, so you have this God who looks like a frog, who's this God of fertility. If you want frogs, I'll give you frogs. There'll be so many frogs, they'll ruin everything and they'll be everywhere. Oh, you have the God, the God of the sun, who gives you everything that you need to live? Okay, well then, uh, is, he, is he able to stand against me when I black out the sun and you have total darkness? So every single one of these plagues was speaking against these false gods and all the different ways that humanity invents to try to find life in anything other than God. And so we have, with each of these first four trumpets, again, the trumpet blows, we see this destruction come, and then there's, that's not the only trumpet. There's more time. And then a second trumpet blows. And, and when I read this passage, I think about Jesus' words to, um, to those who are his enemies, those who were um, you know, of the people of God who were, who were um, Israelites in the flesh but were not actually seeking God. 
And Jesus is going about his ministry and he's doing all of these miraculous signs and wonders. He's healing people. He's raising people from the dead and, and he's teaching in a way that no one has ever heard anyone teach, teaching with authority, teaching with such wisdom. And still these people refused to follow him and they were standing in opposition to him. And, and at one point Jesus says, what else do you want? There is nothing left for me to do for you. And, and he says, we played a, uh, I forgot how, what he says, but it's like, we played a jig and you didn't dance. We played a funeral dirge and you didn't mourn. Like, and that's what's happening here is like throughout history, there have been so many opportunities in, in kindness without any destruction for God's just saying, hey, I love you. Return to me and find life in me. And people are like, nah. And then he's like, okay, I'm going to bring pain just like you do when you're uh, a parent sometimes. When, when you are um, disciplining your kids, um, sometimes there's loudness. Sometimes there's painful things that happen because you're saying like, I want you to see that you are not the center of the universe and that you are not the big one. And, and there's something beautiful that happens in that when it's like almost a sobriety, like a reality check of, oh yeah, there's a healthy fear. That's why in scripture it talks about the fear of the Lord is, is a blessing because the Lord is, is, it's not a slavish fear. It is a a healthy respect of the fact that he is awesome. He is the Lord of all creation, and I am not. He is the one who knows what is good, and I, I'm the one who only knows what is good because of what he tells me. And so the Lord, as he is, you know, over the, over throughout time, Jesus says um, in, the, in the days that Jesus walked the earth, he said, um, there will be a day coming where you will wish, you will wish for these days, when this is how God is coming to you, humble with skin on, just, just having a conversation saying, please come and find life in me. And now we're past those days. And now we're in these days where the Lord is doing loud, big things. And, and he's allowing this pain and suffering, hoping that, remember, he does not delight in the death of the wicked. It's hoping that you will wake up, that pain will be a megaphone and wake you up. And, and by the way, that's what's happening in, in our lives. When we, when we experience painful things, um, sometimes that is God's megaphone saying, I'm trying to get your attention. I'm making life not work for you on your terms because it doesn't work on your terms. And this is actually a mercy that I'm allowing you to suffer in this way so that you will start asking some deeper questions and say, maybe this is not it. Maybe this is not all that there is. Maybe this is not where I find life. And so he's doing this with each of these trumpet blasts, like, hey, please, please wake up. And then in verse 13 of chapter 8, there's another pause. And we see this sort of interlude scene as this eagle is flying and crying out overhead, woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blasts of the other trumpets that these three angels are about to blow. If, if you thought this was bad, it is only going to get worse. And for all of those who are not coming to the Lord in faith, um, it is about to get very bad. And then we see in uh, chapter 9, verses 1 through 11, the fifth trumpet is blown. And even here, um, these crazy, terrifying creatures are only allowed to torment the people. They are not allowed to kill them. 
and the people want to die. That's how, that's how awful this is. That's how heinous this is, is that these terrifying creatures that are being released from the pit of hell to do their work and, to, and these creatures that take pleasure in harming people are not allowed to kill them. And, and that, even that is a mercy of the Lord saying, turn back to me. Because that is a foretaste of what's coming for all eternity for those who are not in Christ. And we, we're reminded again in verse 4 of chapter 9, um, the Lord says, you, you will not harm those who have the seal of the Lord on their forehead. All of my people are safe and protected in me. And then in verse 12, we have another pause. Behold, the, the first woe is past. Behold, two more woes are yet to come. Again, it's this pause, this calling out, turn, come back. It is not too late. There is a day coming where it will be too late, but today is not that day. And then in verses 13 through 17, we have the sixth trumpet blown. And now there is power to bring death and not just torment. But not all people, just a third. So it's like you, you see like this just symbolically as we walk through these trumpets, it's, it's this we're moving toward the day that we cannot avoid, which is the day of God's judgment. But all along the way are these myriads upon myriads of opportunities of repentance and God's mercy even in the judgment. And then finally, we, we end our passage here with verse 20 and 21, and it is, is so tragic the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. And I wanted to, to see the connection that's being drawn here in verse 20 the connection between the works of their hands and the worship of idols and demons. There's this, this combination of what's happening. We, we talk about it as like the unholy trinity of the flesh, the world, and the devil. There, is, there, is, there are demonic forces who oppose God, who want to bring destruction and torment to all of God's people and all of God's creation. And so all of these things that we chase as idols, whether that's um, more money or uh, more sex or more whatever it is, um, the world has been orchestrated in this way. The kingdom of the world has been orchestrated in such a way by these demonic forces to lead us in those directions, to say, yes, that is where you're going to find life, not in the living God, not in the God who created you and who loves you and has made you for life and for himself, but in all of these other things. So go, go try to find life in these things and be destroyed. But there's also something in us, in our sin, in our brokenness, that these are the works of our hands, that we kind of want that. Because there's a part of us that doesn't want God to be Lord over us. And I don't want to bow to him. I want to be God. And so as all of these things are working together, these people do not finally repent. Uh, this, this theologian, Michael Wilcox, said this, the trumpets show the wicked world being offered mercy. The offer is not accepted, and the world will not, in fact, repent. But let it never be said 
that God has not done all in his power, even to the devastation of his own perfect earth, in order to bring men and women to their senses. 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9, Peter says this, Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Don't miss what Peter is saying there. All the times that we look around the world and we say, man, you know what? I I think all of this is just garbage because um, I, I don't see evidence of a loving God because I see all this destruction. I see people doing evil. I see all these things happening and wicked aren't getting punished and they, they just seem to keep going on and on. And, and, and if there really was a God, how would he allow innocent people to suffer? How would he, you know, innocent and asterisk, but how would he allow these things to continue to happen if he's so good? Well, you know, these things, first of all, I just want to say these are beyond us. Uh, we're dealing in the mysteries of God now but this is at least a partial answer. The Lord is enduring the thrashing of his beautiful, perfect creation and the pain and suffering of his people for us because he is giving us opportunities to turn and come back to him and say, I don't want that anyone should perish. I want everyone to come in repentance and return to me and have life in me. And so all that we are enduring now and is making us shake our fist at God is is even that is God's kindness toward us, that this is for you. I'm enduring this pain. And if you think that God is exempt from this pain as he watches his beloved creation uh, languish against sin and wickedness and darkness, then we have to look no further than the cross as he sent his his beautiful, perfect son to put on flesh, to live in this sinful world, to experience uh, what it is to be uh, abused in in every way you can imagine, and then to suffer, and not just the physical suffering of death, but the deeper suffering, the, the infinitely deeper suffering of all of the sin and darkness of all of God's people being poured out into his own body. This one who is perfectly holy and innocent and has never known anything other than perfect love and obedience and community with his father is now separated from him and is filled with all sorts of vile darkness that is yours and mine. And he has taken that to the cross, covered in shame, separated from the love of his father, to die in our place so that we could have new life. And that is why, like, the Lord is allowing this to happen. Jesus, um, in Luke 17, Jesus is being asked by those who will not turn and not repent um, when the kingdom of God would come. They're trying to trick him, trying to trap him. And and what he says to them is, the kingdom of God is not going to come in ways that can be observed, a.k.a., if you want to find ways to ignore him and pretend that you don't know that he is your Lord, you'll, you'll be able to. Like if, if you want to play mind games and, and manipulate and try to control and f- figure out ways in which you could work it out 
through some kind of philosophy or any way that you want that there's not a God and that you're not answerable to him and that all of this is meaningless, you'll be able to do it. But just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man and his second coming. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Like you will, you'll be able to plug your ears and, and to some extent and go live life and pretend that God's not here. But, uh, and then there will be a day that does come and it will surprise you and terrify you and it will be too late for you. So be wise. I'm gonna end with this, um, Isaiah 30, 15 through 19. For thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest, you will be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. But you are unwilling, and you said no. We will flee upon horses. We'll find our own means to have life apart from you. And then the Lord says, okay. Therefore, your pursuers shall be even swifter than your horses. Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice, and blessed are all those who wait for him. So, this is our God. This is our God who, who is perfectly just and perfectly merciful altogether. Who, who is a God of love and of wisdom and of power and of perfection. And this God, how do we respond to this God? If you are not in Christ, then hear this today directed toward you and turn and come and humble yourself before him and say, please have mercy on me. And he says, everyone who calls on my name will be saved. And if you are in Christ, hear this. And worship this God who has chosen you from before time, who has sealed you, who has made you his, who none of this stuff that we're reading about will ever be able to touch you because of the blood of Christ, as he's made you his son or his daughter for all, for all eternity. And let it be an encouragement to us as, as we draw life from him to go out with the words of life to a, a world that is dying. As, as Paul says in Romans 10, how are people going to return to me if they've never heard? And so that's our call as we go out and joy with this good news that is, that is our life and, and give it away. Uh, and now we get to taste and, and see and experience in a tangible way. And, and forgive me for going over today. Um, but we get to celebrate the Lord's Supper. We get to feast on Jesus in a way that is tangible because we're embodied souls. Um, we are frail, we are weak, and we need constant reminders of the truth of his love for us and the, and the perfection and completion of his love for us that there's nothing left for us to do. Um, he just says, yeah, in returning and rest, you will find your life because I am the one who's made the way. You haven't made a way. It, it's not on how you feel. It's not on what you do. It's, it's not on anything other than my life, death, and resurrection. So return to me. Rest in me. You will find rest for your souls. You will find life in me. And so now we get to do this at the table.
this was instituted by Jesus himself on the night that he was betrayed. It says he was celebrating the Passover, which was pointing back to the, the blood of that spotless lamb that was shed so the people of God would not have to die for their sins. And Jesus reveals, I am that spotless lamb. This Passover meal is pointing forward to me. And so this bread, um, I break this bread, and this bread is my body that is broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And then after the meal, he took the cup and he poured out the wine and says, this is not the cup of God's wrath because of what I've done for you, because this is actually the cup of my blood poured out for you. This is the cup of the wedding feast. You have nothing to fear. Return and find rest for your souls in me. And we don't hear in scripture anything about Jesus or his disciples eating the Passover feast of the Passover lamb because he is the Passover lamb whose blood was shed for us. And so he commands us to keep this feast because it's good for us. And so this, this table is for everyone who knows everyone, who knows I am a sinner and in need of repentance, and Jesus is my only hope. Jesus is my only savior. And so if that is where you are today, then we invite you to come. We have a community table. We also have these kneelers. Um, you can come to either one. If you come to the kneelers, just come. And uh, when you're ready, put your hands out and receive the elements. Uh, you can also raise a hand and ask for prayer. If you want to come to the community table, we'll just ask everybody to, to gather around the table together, um, and we'll serve you there. But come and taste and see that the Lord is good and that he loves you very much. Father, as we prepare to come to the table, Lord, would you speak to us, uh, whatever you want to speak to us. Uh, we are yours. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. And also thank you for your justice, even though it's, it is hard to read these passages um, because there's something in us that is just still resistant um, to your perfect justice, your perfect holiness. But Father, um, these things, are, these things are too high for us. Would you bring them down to our level and let us, let us feast on what you want to give us? In Jesus' name, amen.